For your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, covering the week of media, marketing, and digital content news. This old marketing. Take it away, boys. Well, hello, my friends. This is Robert Rose. And welcome to episode number 331 of This Old Marketing for Thursday, July 7th, 2022. And with me, you know, as always, my good friend, my colleague, and a guy who would definitely dress up in a suit to see the new Minions movie as a gentle minion, Mr. Joe Polizzi. Hello. Do you know about this? Do you know about yes, this? Uh, of course. This, yes. I, okay. I heard about it from my... My two teenagers, or one, well, one did they one did they do it? No, did, they did, did not. They dress but up? they talked about okay. it and how basically, <laughs> you know, it. There's no simple discussions in our house anymore. Everything has a context to it. Sometimes a political context, but it was basically the talk was how Gen Z in this case has basically made the minions popular. Just that generation, all by themselves. Yeah. That's because right. Because of this, uh, you know, going to see the minions in a tuxedo, if you will, or a suit. At, uh, and I saw Mr. Beast got in on that. Did you see this as well? I did not see that Mr. Beast got in Mr. On Beast, I guess, got a, a couple hundred kids together and got them all dressed up and then filmed them all going to see the minions at the same time in the same theater. So you have a whole theater full of, of kids with suits on toting bananas. Nice. It's a, it's a, I think it's a wonderful thing. I mean, it, it, you know, it's, I mean, aside from the, some of the slight, I guess, disruptions that have, have occurred in some cases, I think it's, it reminds me so much of when I was a kid and we would go see Rocky Horror Picture Show. I was going to say the same thing. It's, you know, we had that in our generation. They're having this good for them. A share, I think a shared yeah. shared experiences. That's what movies are for, right? Exactly. You, you, that's the whole point to, cel- yeah. to celebrate the storytelling with other people and to genuinely feel that the emotion around you. That's why you go to a movie. That's right. So even though even though it's ironic, right? I mean, the whole I guess from what I read, and and I'm certainly not. <laughs> I am not a gentle minion myself. Um, and it makes sense, right? Because the first one came out when these kids were seven, eight, nine, ten years old, and now it's ten years later. Not by any, you know, not by any design. I mean, I, they wanted this movie to come out a lot sooner, sure. but but uh, you know, the pandemic delayed it, and so now these these kids are, you know, they're high schoolers, right? You know, so they're they're it's the it's it, it, this is nostalgia for them and. The the interesting thing is, I think, is is the it's very much like what it was when we were kids, and with uh, with Rocky Horror, it, it's it was ironic, you know, you you didn't go to the Rocky Horror Picture Show because it was such a great movie, <laughs> you, you know, yes. you went be- <laughs> because it was you could yell at the screen and throw toilet paper at the screen and and you sing along with the songs and do all those things and dress up and you know and you would go you know you would go to you know midnight showings of it and it was a whole thing but you know it was very other than the sort of orchestrated disruptions in the movie which were sort of you know throwing toilet paper and yelling and singing and stuff 
everybody was very well behaved. And I, and from what I understand, that's kind of what's going on here is that everybody's very well behaved. It's not like violent or anything. It's just these kids are having a good time and, and, uh, and, and putting on, and I mean, the fact that they're putting on suits is kind of something else, but, uh, I mean, yeah, I, I love it. I I think it's wonderful. They're, they're putting it on TikTok and YouTube and it's amazing marketing. For, yeah! Oh my God! It's here for the minions. Which, by yeah. the way, if you would just like to know the numbers behind it, I'm looking at 125 million in the first four days. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy, crazy good for them. It's a crazy good opening. Oh, I'm just reading the fifth installment of the Despicable Me franchise, which will tell you how you know, w- which makes sense why it's getting better and better because they're getting this following and they're just continuing to yeah. to create good stories. But they launched it. Uh, in 2010 so you're right 12 years ago was the first one yeah hmm. yeah yeah it's a, you know i mean it's such a testament to one uh as you build an audience the unintended consequences that can happen with that and if they don't take advantage of this if the if the you know the 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 producers of the film and the you know they if they don't take advantage of this they're missing out right it because it, like you're saying this is this is audience behavior that you could have never predicted but is one of those happy accidents that is just is just amazing and i i would see that i would hope and i would see them leaning into this um and and really building you know building on it i i would imagine they they should do that but it's the power of uh you know somebody asked me this is a while ago you know when i wrote the the novel they said well how do you market a novel because it's said, joe you know you've been writing all these business books or marketing books or whatever and i said well the only way that i know how to market a novel is to write a second novel yeah, that's right that is Which, right it comes straight from john grisham and he'll tell you you know if you look at uh i think is it a time to kill? I think was his first book that didn't sell anything, right? And then right. it wasn't until his third book, I don't know which one it was Pelican Brief or something like that. Is that Grisham? I can't. Uh, I, yeah, something I like that. And then the other books started to sell, and so it's this. I mean, once you get a hit like this, boy, you just keep consistently building on it. It's nice because basically every two years they're launching a new Minions movie. That is right. fantastic. Um, and before we get started with the show, by the way, we probably need to talk football. Oh yeah, well here it is. You know, it, you're, you're <laughs> right, don't we? One of my favorite. Uh, I, I, favorite I absolutely. I, I was. I was. Yep. I was. Uh, I was. I was. I don't know how. I don't know how to feel about Baker Mayfield, and I'm, I mean, I'm so glad for him that he's actually going to get to play this year. Um, and for those of you who aren't don't follow football at all and don't care probably, but it's Baker Mayfield who is the uh, was the quarterback mm-hmm. of the Cleveland Browns um, was kind of unceremoniously sidelined when the Browns drafted Deshaun Watson, who has his own issues or traded, we, yeah, we traded, traded for Deshaun, yeah, and then basically has been sitting like well twiddling his thumbs until this week and and literally yesterday breaking news here that he's being traded to the Carolina Panthers. Yeah, I guess uh, the Browns got a 
I don't know, it'll be a fourth or a fifth round conditional pick. It's which is awful. Year. I mean, that's awful. I mean, that's I mean, that's just like okay, yeah, you you know, you got a bucket of pucks basically. Did you ever see the movie uh, Moneyball about the Oakland A's? Oh yeah, of course. Remember yeah. the point where David Justice and you know Brad Pitt's character Billy Bean right. are talking. Yes, and David Justice says, "Yeah, I'm kind of you know I'm kind of the man because you know you're you know you're paying me seven million dollars to play here." And right. Billy Bean right. says, "Well, yeah. no, you know the New York Yankees yeah. are paying you know most of your salary. They're they're right. pay, they're paying. Here's what they think of you. They're paying you, you know whatever six billion. Uh, you know, to not us, play yeah, for them. To not yeah. play for the New yeah. York Yankees, and uh, that's the same thing that we have here with the Baker Mayfield situation. What I read, I don't know if you saw this, but I guess he's supposed to make around eighteen million dollars, and I believe some he took a cut, like he took a three and a half million dollar cut. But so of the three and a half million dollar cut, I think only four point eight million of that is going to be paid by Carolina, and ten million plus is going to be paid by the Browns. Yeah, and they play each other this so year, so that's why they. Right, but that's why they didn't get a, you know, basically Carolina got a reasonably priced, I think, I personally think, a great quarterback. Um, and, uh, yeah, and, and they get them, quote unquote, off their books, as it were. And, and the Browns get a middling draft pick, but don't have to worry about it. I mean, they were just but what this says them. to me is yes. they. They've they've gone all in. They've gone all in on Deshaun, and that's ooh, I think that's a big risk. I don't know if you've seen this, but in uh, summer camp, I guess Deshaun Watson is taking eighty percent of the snaps, and because he's taking eighty percent of the snaps, that leads you to believe that that they he will be playing if he doesn't get if he doesn't get uh, uh, suspended. But that's what I'm saying. The, the Browns believe he's going to play because he's taking all the snaps, and right. so. What? Like, do that? Maybe they have some insider information, but everything they, that we're hearing either is have that the NFL is right. going for a for going for a, an indefinite ban. They either have to have some sort of insider information here, or you know, they've gotten some word from the NFL that they're not going to suspend him, which would just be mind-boggling to me, given you know all the things that. Well, not to put too fine a point in all the things that Cowboys get suspended for, um, but you know the the it would be mind boggling for me to see no suspensions here. But maybe they're not going to, well, or they've factored that in, or they've you know they've 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 built that cost in, and they've said, okay, we know he's not going to play the first six games or whatever. Well, and then, by the way, for people listening to this that don't know what's going on, Deshaun Watson, I believe, has. 24 civil cases against him. I, I believe 22 of those have been some agreed yeah. to, some terms for things that happened in a massage parlor with whatever. I'm not, that's all That's all the further we're going to go. Uh, but uh, if you read the NFL's report, the NFL came out with a report and said that they found, they interviewed whoever they interviewed. Uh, there was one main witness and a couple other ones and said they found no violence, no coercion. It's basically just behavior that they would not like to see. But there was no, there was, they basically said, oh, he didn't put anybody in a bad situation. Now, I don't know if that's right. true or not. That's right. But that's what they found. Yeah. 
So basically, if that's true, and that's what the reports of the NFL could find, no wrongdoing other than the fact that now, they don't seem to like his his behavior, that yeah. he's going out with all these women or whatever, which I think there's more to that, but we don't. nobody really knows the truth, then what's the NFL going to do? It's just conduct unbecoming, and then you get, and I don't know what the maximum is for conduct unbecoming of an NFL player, because I don't know what that means. Do you know yeah. what that means? I, 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 well, I, you know, I, I see it applied when, you know, players on the team that I follow, of course, which is the Dallas Cowboys, they, they, they get suspended, you know, for bar fight or, you know, stuff like that. And, uh, you know, or that sort of thing, which is, is you're you saying know, that I, the Dallas Cowboys get suspended for smaller. No, things. I'm not. No, 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 no. I'm not. I'm not saying they get suspended anymore. I'm saying that the NF, what I'm saying is, is that right now the NFL is capricious and ridiculously inconsistent yes. with the way it hands out suspensions. The, the issue is, I think that the NFL players association is making is the fact that, the NFL treats owners and players very differently. Yeah. Right? You think? So there's yeah. been a number of situations where pretty high-profile owners have gotten into some pretty horrible situations that are very well <laughs> right. known. Patriots. There's a lot Patriots, of data. Robert Kraft, there's a yes, lot of data yeah. and research to corroborate these things, <clears throat> and yet the NFL doesn't do anything about that. But yet, if you yeah. have a player... Now, I guess that's their prerogative, but it's also the Players Association prerogative to say, hey, you can't just let this go and then act this way toward the players. Yeah. But they, but on, but honestly they can, I mean, we, we, <laughs> yes, they, they can, they, they, they absolutely can, can just because as, they, the owners, yeah. I hate to say it, but the owners and the players are different. They are different. Oh yeah. The, the, the players. Yeah. I mean, yes, it's, it's, it's a business and the players are not the boss. Let's put it that way. So anyways, enough with that. I just wanted to say yeah. that I love, yeah, I, I, I loved what Baker Mayfield did for the Browns. We were in a very tough situation when Baker was drafted and got us back to the playoffs for the first time in a long, long time. And we were an up-and-coming team until, in my opinion, the the management of the team or the coaches of the team or whatever you want to say, they put, they put Baker Mayfield into game situations where he was hurt and he should not have been playing. Yeah. And do do you, do you buy into the narrative that he's a jerk? That's what I've heard. I've heard, I've heard that one of the reasons, one of the not necessarily important reasons, but one of the reasons that they were so, you know, eager to replace him is because he just wasn't that well liked. There, there may be some truth to that because of the fact that there are players on the current team when all this was going down with Baker and Baker was, was getting, you know, they were basically when they were going through the Deshaun Watson thing, there were a lot of players on the Browns that came out very excited about Deshaun Watson and nobody was in Baker's corner. Right. Yeah. So from that standpoint, yeah. you have a data point that says, yes, he wasn't well, maybe not as well liked on his team, but I, you know, I, I think he's uh, confident. He's got a big ego. He's very confident. He shows that he's been, he showed that ever since college when he was at Oklahoma and he, and he put the, the flag right in the middle <laughs> of Buckeye stadium. Right. Yeah. I mean, that yeah. was, he's still very well known for that. And Buckeye fans have still not forgiven him for that. 
but you know, he's a leader and you know, you like him or you don't, but I never got the impression that he was not well liked until the whole Deshaun Watson thing came and and I don't blame Baker for being disappointed and upset. I especially the circumstances because the Browns paid more money for Deshaun Watson with Deshaun Watson's baggage than any other quarterback in the history of the game. So yeah. what how does that make any sense? I nobody yeah. nobody in Cleveland knows what's going on right now and everybody's sort of sad. Regardless of what happens the rest of the way, everyone's a little bit sad, and we're not all that excited about the year. That nor I mean, with it, Cleveland, Ohio is a football town, and it is of course, yeah, not that way right now. Everybody's a little bit disenchanted. So there you go. Yeah. There you go. All right, let's get to our show. Should we? And let's t- Yeah, we we should. We should because interestingly, it's gonna be a continuation a little bit. Uh, <laughs> what we've theme. just been talking it's a about. Theme. Yeah, <clears throat> it's a theme for the show, I guess. Uh, we're gonna start by talking a little bit about how brands right now are struggling with the uh, R. Kelly, uh, and uh, and you know, and how that plays into a little bit of of the broader things going on in the world with regard to celebrities and sponsors and influencers uh, doing things that aren't, aren't that great. Um, but we'll cover a separate story, which is about Crosby, Stills, Nash, and uh, they have apparently forgiven Spotify and they are back on the platform, Aww. but Neil Young's not yet. So we'll talk a little bit about that. And we'll then sort of shift into China uh, and how they are banning more than 30 live streaming behaviors and demanding qualifications for content creators to actually be able to talk about stuff and how that might have implications for what's going on here in the creator economy. And if we've got time, we'll talk about a new product being backed by Google, a new startup um, that has had some uh, traction in the ad tech world called Glance, uh, and how it's going to launch in the U.S. within the next 60 days and maybe do some interesting things to your Android phone. Uh, I'll have a little bit of commentary on content marketing and how it might actually be changing into community marketing. Uh, and Joe will have a interesting video, which I got to watch because, of course, I see the show notes um, from uh, – from, uh, I, 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 I guess it was a presentation. It was supposed to be at the it, NFT. No, or it, the, no it's VidCon. Hank Green. Hank Green. Bitcoin. Oh, that's right. So one that's of the right. founders and, and, of VidCon. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. VidCon. And um, talk about the, the curse of the swipe, as it were. Um, I will be very interested to hear about that because I watched all, all nine, it's nine, nine minutes, minutes long. And, yeah, it's not. And, and, and by the way, he was sick while he was doing it. It's very hard to listen to because he recorded it and he has COVID. That's why he didn't go and give the keynote at VidCon. Yeah. <laughs> you can tell. It's like, you can tell as you're listening got, to him. He's like, yeah. He's like two minutes into it, going, you know, I need to take a knee here. You know, basically. I don't know, if, but I don't know if you saw this. But this is a totally separate thing. But there were a lot of people that actually got COVID at VidCon. It was sort of a thing. A lot of creators that were there got. And how, who would have thought that you'd get the vid at VidCon? Yeah. Hey, now so I see what see you what did, I there. did there. That's probably not that. something I you see. laugh at, but it's no. Uh, no. I said it anyways. So what are you going to do? Yeah, now there you, you go. Can't yeah. put that. And, well, NFT in the and, and New York as well, as from what I hear, was a was a bit of a super spreader event. Our our good friend Jeremiah Oyang got uh, got the vid um, at uh, at that event. Yeah, uh, what does that tell you about in person events? 
Uh, I don't know. It's, uh, I'm not going there. I'm just sick and tired of talking about COVID. COVID, COVID, uh, COVID. It's only, we've COVID, only been talking yeah. about it for two and a half years. It's not like it's been that I long. Know. I know. Anyways. What do we got? All right. Maybe we should Let's get to our show. first story. It comes to us courtesy of The Morning Brew. Uh, and the headline from The Morning Brew is that platforms are grappling with how to handle R. Kelly's music. Uh, basically, the article opens up and says, R. Kelly, one-time R&B chart topper, this last week was sentenced to 30 years in prison Yes, uh, for sexually and psycho- psychologically abusing multiple victims, many of whom were minors at the time of his offenses. Uh, his conviction is the culmination of decades of accusations that first got widespread attention during the peak of the Me Too movement in 2017. Uh, another movement that became vocal around the same time, Mute R. Kelly, whose supporters pressured radio stations and online platforms to stop streaming the artist's songs, But while you're unlikely to hear Ignition on the radio these days, online platforms haven't fully washed their hands of R. Kelly. Uh, Spotify scrubbed his music from its curated and algorithmically generated playlist and stopped promoting his work in 2018. YouTube shut down two of R. Kelly's official accounts last year, but his songs are still available on YouTube Music. Uh, Some artists uh, voluntarily removed songs that were produced in collaboration with R. Kelly, such as Chance the Rapper's Somewhere in Paradise. But platforms have stopped short of removing removing his music, and in the years since his conviction, uh, R. Kelly's fans have continued to listen to it. In 2017, he averaged around 5.4 million weekly streams in 2021, 6.4 million. And after he was found guilty in September of last year, his audio streams actually jumped 22% compared to the previous week, and album sales spiked 517%. The article then goes on to ask, where is the line between moderation and censorship? And platforms are grappling with this question for a range of creators who've been accused of offenses that range widely in severity. Earlier this year, Joe Rogan's podcast and et cetera goes on to talk about Joe Rogan. And we've talked enough about that that I don't need to recap all of that. But what do you think about all this, Joe? I mean, this is, you know, there's a lot of things to play here that we can talk about but but i mean there's the r kelly thing which seems pretty cut and dry to me but the others not so much when we start talking about removing and or deleting you know it, it brings back that old question you know can you separate the art from the artist um and it, you know it's a, it's almost like now we have to ask you know can we separate the content from the creator um and should we you know, should should we actually be be doing that? I mean, it, it brings up a very interesting discussion. Well, where do you draw the line? Right. I like, mean, well, exactly. How ma- okay, let's just be honest. If you wanted to take a look at just musicians, just the musicians category, you'd you'd have to go into. I mean, I'm not even going. I mean, look at Michael Jackson. Uh, you can say R. Kelly. Okay, was sentenced. What's the where? Where do I? Why do I not pull Michael Jackson's music? Right. Yeah. But his music is fine. Oh, but but no, R. Kelly because R. Kelly was sentenced or because there was a movement mute R. Kelly around that, so there was so much so many that wanted to cancel R. Kelly that that's what happened. I think this is they're on sand right here. Any of the uh Spotify's of the world or the YouTubes that are making these decisions this this is ground that I do not want to be standing on if I'm them, and I think it's a no-win situation because now that you've said, oh, okay, well, I don't like that person's behavior or that person did something wrong outside of the music because it's not about the music, right? 
It's not that he said something in the music or did something specifically in the music. This is about R. Kelly, the person. So we're going to start separating that. Are we going to look in the art world? Are we going to be looking in the you know, uh, professional sports world? Where are we going to separate? The, and we, we get into a, a big problem for a lot of people. And I just think that especially for these platforms, and we're going to talk about more the rest of this show, I think that they should just not do that. Now, the, the reason why I don't have a problem with the couple of shows that Spotify scrubbed from Rogan was because it was shown that it was actual misinformation, that, w- that the thing that was going on with Rogan's show was actually wrong, scientifically wrong information, proven to be wrong. Okay, take that down. Great. Because we don't want misinformation. But it's not like R. Kelly is, oh, my God, I'm going to listen to that song and it's misinformation. Or it was, uh, you know, horribly graphic in some way. It's nothing like that. It's just because of R. Kelly, the person. I think this is really going in bad places, Robert. I don't know what you think, but I. So where are you going to stop? You can't stop now. They're always anytime somebody gets convicted of something, does something in the press, takes a poor picture. Where where are we going to say? Oh, now their music's gone. Their content needs to be scrubbed. We need to act like they never existed before again. What, what do you think? I think the, the biggest question for me in all of this is, and it, and it comes down to a broader sort of topic, I guess, but for me it comes down to, so one of the things that we're learning to live with in the digital era, and, and I just wrote about this, so it's fresh on my mind, the the maybe the one of the hardest things that we're learning to deal with is the fact of the uh, undeletability. Um, I haven't really come up with a, a good word for it, but but it is the you know pre digital. First of all, a lot of this content would never have survived. Sort of you know the the you know. Uh, survived i mean full stop right in other words the record albums if you stop pressing them they eventually end up in you know uh you know trash bins and you know shelves and you know and they go away basically the 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 access to that art or that content goes away because the magazines are torn up and thrown away the film canisters rot in a warehouse somewhere and become unplayable the you know the albums go away the cassettes dry up you know all those kinds of things in the whether where there was physical media involved much of what we would have seen from that artist or that content creator would have just gone away in the digital era it doesn't it's forever you know, and this has marketing implications as well, because all the stuff that we've published as businesses for the last 20 years, 99% of it is still there. In fact, it's more expensive for a business to go back and be good about pruning their content and their and, and what they do than it is for that them not to. So in the era of social media where we've now been tweeting for 12 years, we've now been creating content on social media platforms for 12 years, we've now been producing digital artifacts of our thoughts and feelings and emotions for 20 years, well, now all of a sudden there is an archive that is easily accessible, easily searchable, that may not play as well in 2022 as it did in 2007 or 2008 or 2020, you know, 2001. And 
that is a that is a really interesting cultural thing that we have to deal with because when you start going back now 23 years how long is long enough in other words how long is you know we go back and we think about people like Ike Turner right mm-hmm. great you know here's that's you know a musician who had a very troubled uh, certainly, uh, you know, and would definitely be canceled today, given what he did. And but we don't even talk about Ike Turner anymore because it's such a small part of the history of of what you know. And you know, you go back and back and back and back, and you can find examples of just about every famous person out there that did something. It's on, that's only going to get more pronounced as those artifacts become more easily accessible. You know, when you can go back in someone's Twitter history and 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 search for something that isn't quite as good today as it might have been, you know, ten years ago, twelve years ago, and weaponize that, it it becomes problematic. So I think, in general, I think I have zero problem with canceling R. Kelly. Right? I mean, that guy is, you know, it, it from what we found out, from what he was actually found guilty of. Yes, remove him as you can from your platform is a seems to me a pretty safe and smart move. I agree with you for it's what what where is that line to be drawn and I think individual companies have to sort of make up their own lines. To me the other the 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 biggest challenge I see is the how long does it last? How long you know, given whatever line has been drawn, and our next story, what we're going to talk about, is a great example of that. Crosby, Stills, and Nash coming back to Spotify. Apparently, for them, a year was long enough, and that was they're good with that, right? But is that is that right? I, I don't know. It's a, it's a really interesting, problematic question. Well, I I hear your point on R. Kelly. I disagree with the fact that you should. We're giving so much power to these platforms right now to make these decisions. Now we've and we've got some issues over the next two three years as marketers and content creators that we're going to have to deal with. But it's getting worse in some cases, not better, because they're really they want to keep that power as much as they can. We'll talk more about that as we go. Um, but that's where I'm. I'm like, okay, you take R. Kelly and take another ten or fifteen musicians that have been just as bad or worse than R. Kelly. Well, where, what are you going to do about them? I'd rather them keep him up on stream and just say, we're not going to make any money off of this anymore, or we're going to donate it to charity or something like that would be better than just saying, oh, we've got enough. He's tipped the scales on on likability, and we can't support that and done now. Okay, well, well, that's a great, that's a, that is a point. That is, that is a point of view for sure. You know, which is, you know, it, it could because you go to the other side of that, which is the, the you know, banned books and, and, and those kinds of things, which in many cases, taking away access to those books that's, provides, it basically washes over the thing that happened, right? That's actually a really good point. So R. Kelly, I don't even know if you wrote a book. Probably did, right? R, okay, is R. Kelly's book banned at the libraries now? Are we going to have book burnings of R. Kelly's book? I, I'm just, you know, these are questions to be asked now that we're saying we're going to scrub R. Kelly's. <laughs> when did you turn into Tucker Carlson? <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just asking where does, questions. Where, I'm where, just asking questions. And you and I talked about this before. When we're in an environment right now where, depending on your position, 
You believe that many of your freedoms, some of your freedoms are take, being taken away right now. This is really important. Like these yeah. little things are really important. If we start saying to the platforms, yes, you know, I know it's my content, but you can do whatever you want with it. And today it's out and you're spreading it around. Tomorrow it's gone. I mean, we have no control over that. These platforms can do whatever they want, but I don't like the precedent. Um, if you want to go and well, there's two. We should be clear that there's two, two sides of this, right? There is the creator removing themselves from a platform because they object to yes. something that is on the platform, and then there's the platform's responsibility, quote unquote, to remove things that it finds objectionable because of something the creator did, and that I, I the, it's two very different sides of a coin there. And I think, you know, the responsibility of the platform to remove things that happen because of basically what happens in the, you know, beyond the fourth wall, as it were, um, you know, R. Kelly is a good example of this, right? You know, the question I think we're trying to answer here is should the platforms be responsible for removing things that are generally considered in the culture, and this is where you get to your good point about where do you draw the line, to be offensive, right? To be to be wrong. And I'm not sure demonetizing it for themselves, you know, just basically pulling the profit out of it is enough. I I, I think they're you know yeah, I no, I, I hear what sure. you I hear what you're saying. I mean but but yeah. the, we're not it's a different conversation. If you're looking at the the content itself and if the content itself is offensive, inappropriate, or flat out scientifically wrong, is a right. different thing than the person did something. Right. Because exactly. we're not they talking broke about the fourth the wall with something Kelly, different. Whether you, yeah. you like yeah. R. Kelly or not, we're not talking about his art. Oh, we didn't like that song, so we're going to cancel that song. We're not talking about that. So the thing about Crosby, Stills, and Nash, though, if you want to go to the, the creator making the decision to remove from the platform, did they come? Like, I'm reading this from The Verge right now. They didn't come back and say that, oh, great, Spotify made action and we're, you know, took action on this and we're okay with what they did and now we're back. They just showed back up, right? Well, that's right. So uh, basically, what has happened here is so this article comes to us courtesy of The Verge, and the article opens up by saying Crosby, Stills, and Nash are back on Spotify. <laughs> I'm sure everybody in our audience is like, great. Who the hell is Crosby, Stills, and Nash? Oh, come on. <laughs> so, anyway, oh, our audience. Yeah. Crosby, our audience knows. Yeah. Knows Crosby, that. Stills, and Nash are back on Spotify five months after the supergroup abandoned the platform in protest of Joe Rogan's spread of COVID information. Uh, the group will donate streaming profits of COVID-19 charities for at least a month, according to Billboard. The musicians' return to Spotify marks a quiet and relatively unglamorous end to their protest, which has largely had the effect of boosting Rogan's subscriber numbers, if the prod podcaster is to believe. Crosby, Stills, and Nash originally announced back in February that they would pull their music in solidarity with sometimes bandmate Neil Young, who kicked off a series of artist protests of Spotify where he removed his music and published an open letter criticizing the company for its support of Rogan. 
I'm doing this because Spotify is spreading fake information about vaccines, uh, said Young in a since-deleted blog post, uh, by the way. Uh, Young, however, has not returned to Spotify, and that makes for some awkwardness with Crosby, Stills, and Nash's return. While the trio songs are back on Spotify, their albums under the banner of Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young include a number of omissions. Songs credited to Young are still unavailable, which is a really interesting problematic thing when you want to buy the album and you can't get the actual full album. Um, I think this is interesting. I mean, it continues our conversation for sure. Uh, you know, uh, to answer your question, the way I, re- I mean, look, you, you, Spotify doesn't get to just arbitrarily do this. They had to have been told that it's okay to do this. So at some point, either somebody from Spotify reached out to CSY uh, or CSN team and said, is it okay to put your stuff back? Yeah. Yeah. Or CSN contacted Spotify in the early days and said, hey, listen, we're, we're, we want you to pull our stuff off until July, which could have also happened. Um, and, you know, we, we talked about this on this show where, I, you know, we were a little snarky and cynical and said this might be a marketing play more than anything else. I, I, I'm not convinced it's not a marketing play by the CSN team, uh, to be honest. I, I, you know, I think Young is earnest in his, like, band, but... I'm a, I'm a little I'm a little un you know because they're getting great news coverage and marketing out of this and I'm sure seeing a spike in sales. The whole thing smells wrong to me. I, yeah, the, it does to it me does, too. Especially because it's Crosby, Stills, and Nash, which I've always been a fan of. And if you look at their history, uh, you know, coming from Buffalo Springfield and I think the Birds, right, and then joined into the supergroup and then added Young later, always about free speech. Big, I mean, this was, you know, this was 60s and 70s, height of what was going on with uh, around Vietnam. I mean, they, you know, the shootings at Kent State, they were big voices for that. And then they're now they're going to take a stand because they want someone else on the platform that they're on to be silenced. It just doesn't feel right. And I know it's not that cut and dry, Robert, but that's what, that's when I'm just looking at it. I'm looking at this article, I'm like, oh, yeah, they didn't like what another creator was doing, and so they want to cancel them. It just doesn't feel like it's their brand. I know they were supporting yeah, Neil Young well, in this. Yeah. And I get I, I that, think they were rest- but just doesn't, it just doesn't seem like... So anyways, yeah, what, what, so what, we've seen this a million times before, right? Oh, okay, well, there's first there's outrage. Oh, my God. Look, Joe Rogan misinformation and then everyone wants to cancel them so cancel 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 people drop you had crosby sills and nash drop you had prof g you know drop his podcast from spotify and then yeah wait some time it seems like six months is the time period right Eh, wait about five six months and then everyone gets back on the platform and we forget all about it right well that's i mean (laughs) that's the american way right i mean you know (laughs) Not to, not to get into other issues, but that's that's what we're all about, right? I mean, we we are we are filled with outrage on various issues until uh, something else comes up, and then we forget about it very conveniently. Yep. Yeah, it's you know, I mean, I don't need to get into other political yes, issues right we, now. To, to I think to, we all to, can to, to address that, but we all know, and so I, I I agree with you. That's why to me the time thing here is such an interesting blade that has two edges to it right which is the uh, 
you know, I don't know how to feel about Crosby, Stills, and Nash returning to Spotify. I'm as a fan, I'm glad because I'm a subscriber to Spotify and I love CSN music and and I love the albums and and I'm glad they're available to me again. Um, you know, and I'm bummed that Neil Young's not on it and and you know and and, and all of that. But <clears throat> as a marketing guy, strategy guy, uh, I look at this and go, uh, this. It seems off to me, this, you know, from a strategy perspective, from CSN, um, you know, from a brand perspective, to your point, it feels off to me as a branded marketing guy, like this is not their brand um, to sort of, you know, sort of kowtow, I guess, or just, you know, make this out, oh, you know, it was a protest and we went out and did it for a little while and now we're coming back, um, et cetera, with no, you know, with, with no, you know, the, the only sort of capitulation that they seem to have gotten is from themselves basically saying, we're not going to, you know, we're not going to take royalties on this streaming for at least a month, yeah. right? Which is just bullshit at its face. Um, and then as a political person, a pro, you know, thinking about politics, which, you know, that's low on my, you know, typical, you know, um, thing, by the way, because I'm just not really that qualified to think about it that much. Um, I look at this and go, I just, it brings up more questions for me than, than, than answers. Because I think about this timeline and, you know, and I see both sides of that, that blade because how long would be enough, right? I mean, Joe Rogan's not going anywhere. You know, so how, you know, is Crosby, Stills, and Nash basically, are they making a, you know, beheading decision, right? Are they going to say, nope, we're never coming back to Spotify again, ever. And our music will never be there again. It seems like a pretty, you know, not, you know, (laughs) not not a big enough offense to be forever, but is six months long enough? Yeah, I think the problem that I have with it is that... Tough question. Well, I think the problem I have with it, they did the big release and whatever, and they said, until Spotify fixes this problem. Well, okay. If they're back, then Spotify fixed the problem, right? Well, say, I'm back because Spotify fixed the problem. And which, by the way, should have been about 20 days after the whole thing happened. Because they they, they deleted the 70 episodes that were believed to be spreading misinformation. And the last yeah. thing I want to say about this is just the whole thing seems almost silly to me because we're talking about one platform. It's not like, you know, when it, when, well, that's when somebody true. just canceled yeah, we, a we show. Didn't, yeah. If somebody that's canceled right. a television show in the 60s and 70s and 80s, that was it, right? You didn't, you yes. couldn't get it. Well, anywhere. that's my point. Now you can get Crosby, Stills, and Nash on 70 million other places. This is, this is, that's a great summary to where we started this whole conversation which is it's such a great point and the real evolution of the you know undeletability and mass distribution that the internet provides there is no way to cancel CSN right if it, let's say that CSN you know we were going to cancel you know some sort of Crosby Stills and Nash taking them off of Spotify doesn't cancel them taking them off of Spotify and YouTube doesn't cancel no. them. It makes it a, you know, it makes it two Google it searches rather than one Google search. People. Correct. And that is, but it would find a way, you know what I mean? And, and that is so interesting to me, especially when we start thinking about this, bringing it all the way back around to marketing and advertising and content as businesses 
you know, I, I, I've asked this question before of a few companies that have been publishing content since the early 2000s and now have such bloated websites you know, I mean, companies like IBM and HP and, and some of these companies, you know, they have pay, they have websites that are hundreds of thousands of pages big simply because it's just easier to leave it there than it is to just to actually take the time and budget and effort to go prune that stuff. How much of that stuff, if you really dug through it, is a little awkward or inconvenient or cringeworthy at this point? Um, a lot. And, you know, a lot, I'm sure. And so it's... You know, I mean, and how many times have we heard about some company running afoul of something and they go back in the archives and they find some YouTube video of the company CEO saying something, you know, at a party somewhere, you know, this happens all the time with pharma companies, right? There's some YouTube video of them saying something that nobody cared about at the time. It was just, you know, it got 12 views on YouTube. But now, because of some new, fresh issue, that thing comes back and it's like, it's very awkward and weird. So it's it's a the lesson for us is that we have to as as content practitioners, as marketing practitioners, you not only have to think about what you're going to say, but what you have said, and do you need to actually clean that up? Well, I, I if you're asking from a corporate content standpoint, you definitely need a process to go back and say, do we leave as is? But do we nobody edit, does. Or do we delete? So few people. I know. Well, you're right. Yeah. So few but, companies but when have you, that. But, and especially smaller companies, by the way. Especially smaller companies that don't, they just don't have that. Their websites are ginormous because they go back, you know, they've got a blog that go. I, would, I just dealt with this with a company um, uh, two weeks ago. They're a mid-sized company, but they've been around since the 90s, you know, and they're, you know, they're a, they're a technology company. And their blog, they've been blogging since 2008. And you go back and look at their blogs, and there are blog posts going all the way. You know, they've got seven or 8,000 blog posts on their blog that go all the way back. Now, none of it is cringeworthy or culturally bad. But if you go back and look at some of their, you know, blog posts from that time period, they're not representative of the brand today. They're certainly not representative of the world that we live in from a from a, you know their industry standpoint. And they say some things that are just like really just like not right now. And so the question is, as a marketing person, should you go back and clean that up? Our advice was yes, go back and you know you got to clean that up. You you have to you have to at least look at, and this is not hard to do, but let's just say. You look at, okay, I want to look at every site, um, every piece of content where we rank in the top 50 results for Google. Because you're getting yeah. you're getting traction. You're getting traffic. Or just look at your traffic. Anywhere, did we get anything that had more than 50 page views in the last six months? Well, it's probably worthwhile going back and making sure that content is updated. At least a minimum. I get you because you and I both work with companies that have thousands and thousands of pages and you don't even know where to start. So start start right. with just the content that's being used. If you at least start there, then you've got something because I, you know, haven't we all gone to searches in the last week where we get to a piece of content and like, oh my God, this hasn't been updated till, since 2013 and why is Google still showing this? And um, then the company, why didn't the company update it? So, right. Start somewhere. Because it's it's more, you know, I mean I mean even just from a brand standpoint. You know what I mean? It's like you go back and you can actually go back 
into the you know into the uh, into the history of their blog, and you can see old logos, and you can see old you know positioning statements, you can see old products, and you know as content marketing, where we're talking about cultural things, points of view on the world, thought leadership, all those kinds of things. It's just the kind of thing that can get you know it can get not necessarily will get, um, but it can get awkward. Because you know you, you're just you know you're just talking about stuff that hasn't aged that well over the last twelve years. So, so the learning here you know, is start, twenty years. start somewhere. Anyone you yeah. charge your content, yeah. start somewhere. That includes blog posts. That yeah, in, that I mean we're big. Poli- we're content. I'm a big believer. You know, in our content strategy practice, you know, one of the things that we say is every year you should look at the bottom performing 80% of your content and ask yourself, really, do you still need it? Yeah, could you just because that out? Because chances are 20% of your content is driving 80 or 90% of your traffic. So do, why not just get rid of it? Just like, there's no reason to keep it. We did, now it takes effort. Absolutely. We just did the same thing yeah. at the Tilt and we, there, we had a number of subscribers that hadn't opened emails for six months. And we're like, okay, well, they obviously don't want it. So we sent them a yeah. goodbye letter and said, if you want to keep receiving it, click here. Otherwise, we're taking you off. Just, yeah. we don't, so fine. We could believe that we have those subscribers, but we obviously don't because they're not subscribers. So That's right. same thing with your content. Totally agree with that. All right. One quick other story here that uh, sort of continues our little theme of discussion, but does pivot it somewhat. Um, this is coming courtesy of the South China Morning Post. Might be a, a new... Might be a first for <laughs> introductory first. Yeah, I think so. Uh, China bans over 30 live streaming behaviors, demands qualifications to discuss things like law, finance... Uh, and medicine. Uh, China has issued new regulations on the live streaming industry that list 31 banned behaviors, raising the bar for influencers to talk about certain topics in the government's latest effort to regulate the booming digital economy. The 18-point guideline published by the National Radio and Television Administration and the Ministry of Culture and Tourism on Wednesday requires influencers to have relevant qualifications to discuss some topics such as law, finance, medicine, and education, although authorities did not specify the qualifications needed. Uh, and then uh, I, I'm not logged into it, but the article does go on um, as I did read it, um, basically saying the, you know, the behaviors that are, you know, it's the typical behaviors that you might see that be banned, but it's, it brings up a really interesting po- point, which is, you know, is this something we could see here, given, given our discussion of the last 40 minutes, you know, is this something that we could see in the U.S. start to come into where content creators are going to need to be qualified to talk about things like financial advice or law or health or, you know, vaccines or anything like that. Which right now, if you are talking about financial advice, tax advice, or you have to have your little disclaimer somewhere in the, let's say we, if we talk about this on the podcast and I say, oh my God, we, Netflix is a great buy right now, whatever. We have to say, this show is for entertainment purposes only. <laughs> Do not well, take we're our supposed yeah, to go. Right? We're supposed to qualify no, professional, no, whatever yeah. that professional qualification is. Right. So they're they're expanding what already exists in somewhere like the United States to everything. And we might say, oh yeah, this is China. That makes perfect sense. But I, th- this type of thing, is well on its way to to being something in Europe and being something in the United States, and it's concerning. Like, how far do you want to go before I can't talk about certain things? And that's the thing. I don't care about giving the 
the the little quotation there, right? The saying the sentence, "Hey, we are not qualified to whatever." I mean, because marketing could be in that as, as well. Like we'd have to say, "Well, even though uh, Robert and I have been in marketing for over twenty years." According to the United States or SEC or whatever, we're not qualified to give out marketing advice. So this is entertainment purposes only. So where where are we going to stop here? True. I mean, you know, I think we are going to see at some point when perhaps, you know, I mean, it just seems like there's so much we have to pay attention to these days in in, in terms of new regulation and 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 politics, but I I do believe that at some point we are going to see some regulation on social media and content creation uh, as a whole. Um, And I think, I'm not sure, and again, I have more questions than answers here, I'm not sure that some version of this isn't a good idea. You know what I mean? It's like maybe it is literally just making people be responsible for, you know, in some ways making people be responsible for what they say. And, and you know, because right now media companies, those, you know, mainstream media companies, and typically, by the way, you know, what we would consider broadcast media, you know, your ABCs, your CBS, your NBCs, PBS, you know, all of those national broadcast companies are held to very strict guidelines about what they can say and what they can't say. And now, do we need to go that far for down to the individual? I don't think so. But do we need to go somewhere? I, I, I'm not sure that's not a good idea. But, do, but do, um, I mean, I, would be, I believe you back before like 1990, that was true about network television. But I don't know if... I would agree with you. Oh, of now. course, they are. They're subject to. They're absolutely subject because they subject to FCC regulations. Because, well, under the un, under the initial Bush administration, they passed that law where you didn't have to have two sides of the story covered anymore, and that was the that's how Fox News was created. You don't of course. have to have two sides of the story. So, of course, so but there, but there are certain words you can't say. There are certain things that you can't do on broadcast television. True. There are certain topics that can't be covered. Um, you know, there's a whole standards and practices group at every, you know, not only film companies, but as well as major television broadcast companies that look at stuff and say, you can't do that. You can't say that. Um, and, you know, they, they chalk it up to editing, basically. It's, you know, you will be edited. Um, and so that that it may be on the on the politics side, you know, opened up by, you know, in the late 90s. But it was opened completely up when we started looking at things like Facebook and Twitter and other, as you know and Google as platforms that basically because the user generated the media, it, all bets were off. Basically, yeah. in other words, it became a free speech you know hellscape. And so it, there, I, I don't I, you know I am definitely advocating for free speech, but there's there's I think I think there's a level of responsibility that needs to be held as well as we evolve, as we as we learn how digital has transformed us as people. 
there, I mean, it, it just feels like there has to be some level of responsibility about, you know, what we, what we say, it could be an ex- what we can, what we can do. It, it, it could be an audience size issue, right? If you, if you have five people in your audience, nobody's paying attention to this. Good point. But yes, if you have 5 million people in your audience, there's a level of responsibility. So they could do something right. by that. It's like if you, and so that, that might make more sense. Yeah, it might. It might. It, it's it's the it, uh, kind of the equivalent of you can't yell fire in a crowded theater, but there's no problem with you know yelling fire in a empty street, yeah. right? You know. So, all right. <laughs> That's a lot oh. of. It's a lot of. We, negative I don't think stories. we solved anything. There's no. Yeah, positive, I don't think we solved anything. No positive stories here. There's nothing. Yeah. Well, I think we'll we'll see. We'll see what the audience thinks about this. But uh, I, I I'm I'm thinking there's. I'm thinking that either you or I or both of us got yelled at <laughs> by somebody on their walk. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody's on their walk going, damn you, Polizzi. Damn you, Rose. Oh, oh, they're going to think, I'm done with these two characters. Yeah. It's it. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. What else we got left in this? All show? right. Uh, well, we got, let's very quickly, we should do some rants okay. and raves here. If this is where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave over makes us something that dressing up in a minion or not, you know, maybe going business casual to see the minions. Um, what about you? Do yeah, you want to go let quickly me, let first, go first and, real, real and see quick. what you got? So this is uh, Hank Green's keynote at VidCon that he wasn't at VidCon because he had COVID. But he did his keynote. Uh, keynote on june 26th this is on youtube we'll put it in the show notes it's nine minutes and as you mentioned at the beginning of the show it's called the curse of the swipe and the whole idea of it he starts with the fact that you know it's great for creators but it's horrible for creators that we're we basically have to lay down because this is how it works and it's if they can swipe us and we don't get any respect and all kinds of things and he talks about this triangle between platform creators and audience and who has the power so he'll go through and he'll say you know they started with television in the early days before the internet and said the platform had all the control and creators in the audience had very little control control because platform would say here what creators are on the platform and they would say here's the audience they can watch it and your my rules are don't watch it that's it and then it went on to YouTube, how YouTube gave way more power to the audience and basically goes through the whole thing about who has the power, the platform creators and audience, and it's sort of the shell game that, that a creator is making to see whether or not they want to get found and whether they want to play by the platform's rules. My only take on this, Robert, is I would have liked, I want us to start thinking about no platform. Like, okay, we've got the creator and the creator has an audience or a community, well, maybe we just have to play this little platform game for a little while to build that audience. But once we build that audience, we can cut out the platform, which I've been a proponent of for 20 years. And I think that yeah. is the way to go. But but I don't think Hank Green would not bring this up because Hank Green, he's got a million followers on all these channels. Uh, I mean, obviously the creator with his brother of... VidCon itself, talking about how to use YouTube um, to build an audience and generate revenue and whatnot. So I don't know if he's thinking there's a possibility to do without platform. That's why you and I have talked about, well, maybe there is something to this Web3 thing, or maybe that maybe we should think about our website and email so we can 
cut that platform out and they can't tell us you got to play by these rules you got to say these things it's a you know it's the theme of this whole show right so i guess that's where i was i mean i love this i think everyone should just go watch it and just to get somebody's smart thinking uh who's smart they're thinking on this whole thing but i i think that we should start thinking as creators as marketers maybe we are giving the platform too much power and maybe we should start thinking about okay how do we build a direct relationship with an audience that has nothing to do with a youtube a tiktok a meta instagram whatever the case is so of course my absolutely it's it's always it's always at the in the end it's always about reach right and and what is your ability to reach and talk in the you know again whether you're talking to an audience or whether you're talking to whether the community is talking with each other it's it's about you know what is the what is the the ability to reach each other and that's yeah i think thinking about you know i mean this is why we've always said don't build your house on rented land um, because we that gives that definitely gives the platform all the power of reach and it is ultimately about what is the ability for us to to get in front of those people, and I think you're absolutely right. We got to think about that first, and you know, how do I create a space where people have the ability to talk, discuss, and not and be you know, not to put too fine a point on it, given the theme of the show, but you know, in a way that is in line with the values of our brand and or our community. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know this is a safe space for us to have this talk, um, and not up to the rules of the platform. And so it's a, it becomes uh, a, a bit of a you know a, of a chicken and egg thing. But but you know it, it's I think you're absolutely right. We have to think about that first. Um, but as we as we start building value, well, that's where you have creators that start on one platform, generally a platform that they don't control like a YouTube, and then they can do one of two things. They can move to a more controlled communication vehicle like an email newsletter or like a membership site that they control, or they could diversify so much into so many other platforms that if you lose one or if one changes the rules, it's not going to make an impact on your business model. Right. Or as we've been talking, you get something that happens where they all change their rules at the same time and completely obliterate you as an unintended consequence. Which could happen. You know? Absolutely could happen. Absolutely. And we should, wait, we should plan on waking up every day that, that they're going to change the rules. because they're all, yeah. And they're all very concerned right now. Like all the big platforms are trying to figure out outside of how do they deal with TikTok. Other than that, they're like, okay, well, we're, we're afraid we're going to lose so, too much power. There's too much power going to the creators. There's way too much power has gone to the audience. What do we do about this? So, yeah, be, we should absolutely. be concerned. Not that we're throwing well, out conspiracy abs- yes. theories or anything, but yeah. yes, you may go. <laughs> well, what do you got? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, well, mine segues really nicely into yours, which is an article that we'll link to in the show notes from Vox. Um, which uh, the headline is why brands are obsessed with building community. Um, and the subheadline is brands and creators want customers to be active, engaged fans uh, and to spend more money, which to me immediately sort of conflicts with the headline. But 
neither here nor there. The article, which is a good article, um, it, it points to a lot of different examples, but it starts out by saying, I can't pinpoint when I first realized that community, in quotes, was morphing into a marketing buzzword. The phrase building community, it seemed, is being deployed more frequently by startup founders and their respective brands rather than by actual members of one. For example, uh, the author points out, I'm currently a, f- a member of four Discord communities, as they're called, through paid subscriptions via Patreon and Substack. I contribute absolutely nothing to any of these groups aside from lurking, yet I'm still considered a member, though simply because I paid the access fee. And it goes on to do some interesting examples here uh, of... You know, Glossier, for example, uh, being a Glossier girl as its brand ambassadors and anyone who uses the hashtag are called connotes a sense of cool, low maintenance beauty. And it's on their, you know, their Instagram. Um, They go through and talk about Peloton um, and some other brands that have basically, interestingly, I think the struggle and the tension that this author is having in this idea is that they're conflating the idea of what we would classically call content marketing, building an audience versus community building, which is building a community, which they're related for sure, but they are different in in many different ways. And to me, I think of it in the sense of, am I building an audience, one which I want to reach frequently with value and build an audience who wants to continually do business with me and maybe more or less engaged at any particular point, but I have the ability to reach them and they are loyal and want value from me in the way of content? Or am I building a community where I'm building a co-created group of people where these people are the creators of value? In other words, they create value for each other and for the brand, in this case, um, in a co-created way because that's the definition of a community is that you're there's more value because you are as part of this for you interacting with each other as it is interacting with the brand itself and it you know there's that classic um uh, I can't remember who said it, but it's, you know, the difference between an audience and a community is basically which way the chairs are facing. Um, and that's kind of the idea is, is, you know, which way are the chairs facing? Because all the examples that this um, person goes through, aside from one, are really good examples of audience building. And the tension that this person is finding in the Discord is that those brands are building audiences in Discord, not a community in Discord. But there is one where, it's the Walt Disney one, where they're actually literally building a community like with homes and you know it's that whole thing they're going to build a a community there that by definition will be a co-created idea because the people living there will obviously create the culture of what's going to happen within that disney community i just think it's a really interesting time to be thinking about this as we are brands thinking about building content marketing platforms that build an audience versus building a community understanding those distinctions is really important Uh, Because it really helps us understand what our content plan should be, what our value should be, and ultimately how we'll measure success. I totally agree with you that you need, as a creator or marketer, you need to think about this. Like if you are not planning on having your audience get involved in the content creation, discuss with other people, be a part of online groups where you're having enlightened discussions and leading the editorial to the next like that's all part of a community 
that's very hands-on it's it's a lot it's different not harder work but it's different kind of work than if you say i'm going to build an email newsletter i'm going to send this to an opt-in subscriber every week that's what i'm doing <laughs> that's yeah. Yeah. i think jay akunzo always said it well but the with the difference between the two he said if i if i'm building an audience i am on stage speaking and the audience is listening if I'm building a community, there's a group of chairs in a circle, and I'm one of those chairs. That's right. Yeah. You, there you, you talked about the chairs thing, and that's how he, he yeah. breaks it down. And yeah. So you, but you should absolutely make a decision. Don't just throw out the community line if you're not building exactly. a community, because you probably, exactly. you probably default wise, you're probably just building an audience. That's right. But there's if nothing you wrong with it. If you want to be the center of attention, no, no. If you want to be the center of attention, you are building an audience. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you don't want to, if you're not going to take, if you don't want any feedback, you're building an audience. <laughs> yeah, that, exactly. There you go. There you go. All right. What do you got? What do you got this week? Uh, what do I got this week? Uh, uh, we actually we're uh, we're finishing up Epic Content Marketing, the second edition. Oh, I know lovely. you're helping on that as well. So thank you. Yes, that, you uh, bet. Brian Piper and I are rewriting it. It's due next week to McGraw-Hill, so that book will be coming out in January of 23. It's amazing how early you got to get this stuff in. I know, but right? Our, for, yeah, but all our first draft of the chapters, and about half the chapters are brand new. They've all been updated. But, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to, uh, to getting that one. I always hated having that book out uh, because it's more than 10 years old, and people would say, hey, I love Epic Content Marketing. I'm like, ooh, I I talk about Google Plus and Epic Content Marketing. You know, I get a little, <laughs> right, exactly. little nervous about it. So, well, see, here's the thing: just to the point of our whole show, you're going back and you're changing you're the past. Updated. You're basically, updating yeah, it. you're updating That's right. it. Yeah, get get rid of that old version and bring on the exactly. new. Exactly. Yeah. What do you got going That's on? That's right. Uh, client work, client work, client work. It's been a busy summer and it continues to be. Um, so, you know, coming back on a short week, it's been a busy week and we'll continue next week as being busy. But, uh, yeah, but, uh, so just grateful, you know, have a lot of gratitude for that. And, you know, little experience advisors community, it's, it's getting a little steam. We're, like, we're having fun nice, over there. I like so it. I know you're wholly uninterested in it, but uh, I'm rooting for you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it's been fun. It's been it's been fun. Lear- a lot of learning, a lot of uh, interesting folks in there, and I'm grateful for that as well. So there you go. All right. Um, all right, folks. Well, that's it. We're going to sign off. Thanks, by the way, to Lorena Maldonado. Uh, thank you, Lorena. Wonderful suggestion on the China ban. Uh, thank you for that story. Heath Dingwell, as usual, uh, you know, thank you so much for the Twitter stories. And all of you, please hashtag us up, won't you? Hashtag us at This Old Marketing on Twitter. And we love getting those story ideas. Uh, if you want to get all the goodness of this podcast show notes or dive into any of the other 330 episodes, get on over to our site, thisoldmarketing.site, where you can find all the goodness in the links and you can review us, you can have other people subscribe, you know, all that stuff. Uh, and until we meet again, just remember, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing. <laughs>